Now let's turn to Hebrews, please, the 11th chapter. And uh, also I want to turn to the 24th chapter of Matthew. But first let's look at the 11th chapter of Hebrews. By faith, Noah, being warned of God, of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Next Sunday night, I'm going to preach on David. And the following Sunday, as I work out this schedule, the Lord willing, I'm going to speak on Cyrus. And the prediction by name that under him the children of Israel would be released to come back to Palestine after the Babylonian captivity. But I'm taking Noah tonight. And according to this textbook which they use in the University of Washington. And according to the new curriculum which we have in these major denominations, the Lutheran, the Presbyterian, the Methodist, the United Church of Canada. Noah never lived. He never existed. He's just a myth. The first 11 chapters of Genesis are purely fable. They're myths. They represent the stories that were handed down over a period of many centuries, told from mouth to mouth, and finally they were put in here. This is essential because the higher critical assault upon the scripture has declared that Moses didn't write Genesis at all. In fact, the book wasn't finally put together to a thousand years after Moses was here. That it was put together by a J and an E and a P and a D uh, writers that uh, used certain Symbols, J was for Jehovah, and E was for Elohim, and, and P was for priest, and D was for Deuteronomic, the, co the code or the law. And what we actually have here in the Bible is a collection of stories that show the gropings and the experience of a rather nomadic type of people, in the but in the evolutionary process, were trying to find out how they could reach this God. And over a period of time, they developed a very high sense of God, and they became monotheist. But all of this was a struggle over a period of centuries, and that the Bible is the record of this religious experience, which was developed in this uh, Semitic culture. And that's what we have. It's valuable to us, and through the experience, there are certain great things that happened, which they call the mighty acts of God. God was in this uh, uh, book in some of the events which take place, but God didn't inspire the record. We don't have an infallible book that has been given to us by God. Now that is the new Bible that modernism and higher criticism has produced. And that's what they're studying in these schools. But the view which the Christian church has always held and the view which you and I hold is entirely different. The view which we hold is that this book, as you take it in hand and read it and study it, makes certain tremendous claims concerning itself. It claims to be the word of God. God is represented as speaking. 
God is represented as giving to Moses on tables of stone, what we call the Ten Commandments. Uh, this book makes tremendous claims for uh, this person who is called God, and he's only one God, and he's said to be a jealous God. And he deals with these people when they get away and look at the other heathen deities, and Baal and Ashtaroth. And the internal evidence, that which you obtain when you study the book itself, as it's been put together, unites the book. It establishes the book. And it gives to us a book which we recognize to be a special revelation from God. God has done something in this book that he has not done in any other book or any other writing or any other thing that's been produced. This is special. And it constitutes a revelation which has been communicated unto us by the Spirit of God in such a way that we can believe it, that we can trust it, that we can accept it. In other words, it has been inspired of God. And uh, I've given you these arguments many times through the years, but you come into them over and over again. But the capstone of our whole approach to the Bible is that we take the living Christ after he came up out of the, out of the grave and we hear him saying, All things which are written in the law of Moses and the Psalms and the prophets concerning me must be fulfilled. And beginning at Moses and the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And our Savior said the scriptures can't be broken. Now at this point, we have to pit the knowledge of a risen Christ who came out of the tomb with all the speculative conclusions that these men are using today to try to discredit these things in the Bible. And we accept the internal evidence of the book plus the testimony of Jesus Christ who is the head of the church. And the Christian church has accepted the Bible as the word of God on the authority of Jesus Christ. We take the Old Testament on his authority. He said they can't be broken. It is written. It is written. We accept the New Testament on the promise which he gave to the disciples that they would be led by the Spirit and they would produce into you know, all truth and they'd call to remembrance his things. And so the New Testament and the Old Testament we accept on the authority of Christ as given to us by the prophets and by the apostles. Now that's the doctrine. That's the position. Furthermore, when you are born again... And when you've had your eyes opened and have become a child of God, you see this without any difficulty. When the Lord Jesus Christ was walking on the road to Emmaus with the two disciples, as you'll recall, then opened he their eyes that they might understand. When he was talking to his disciples, he said, then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. And when you are born again and you are a child of God, the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, but the, the newborn, the new creature, the man of God does take the things of the Spirit of God and he can understand them. And so I have no trouble believing this. And I will accept this Bible as the revelation it claims to be. 
And when these gentlemen come along with their explanation of evolutionary development and the groping ideas of these nomadic people having these very experiences, and all we've got here is just a record of these myths and legends, I reject it. We reject it. Because if you reject, if you accept it, then you have to do away with what the Bible says about Moses, you have to do away with what Christ says about Moses, and you make out our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ a really big liar, or else he was terribly mistaken. Now, of course, they don't want to say that Jesus was a liar because they still want to follow this Jesus that they've fixed out of this book. And so they say that he was a creature of his day and that he accepted the culture and the views of the cosmos and of people that prevailed in his day. Well, he did nothing of the kind. Our Savior came down here to reveal to us the glories of the Father and to confirm the revelation so that we would believe it. And when Jesus Christ said, Moses wrote of me, Moses wrote of him. And Jesus Christ said, had ye believed Moses, you'd believe me. And he says, if you won't believe his writings, neither will you believe my words. And so, beloved, as we come in these last days, and our youth, and our young people, and the popular discussion of these things by columnists, and everywhere you turn is away from the belief in this book. And now you go into the universities, and they're going to be able to teach it as literature, and when they come to teach us as literature, they give you the historical setting. And when they give you the historical setting, they take their higher critical conclusions. And poor Moses didn't write anything. David didn't write anything. Isaiah had three or four different Isaiahs plus an unknown prophet. Daniel didn't write anything. And so there you are. And so today, those of us who are Christians and who have been born again and who love the Lord and believe the Bible, we have to deal with these questions with our youth and in all the discussions that we are confronted with. Consequently, we get our answers from the Word of God. Now tonight, we take the story of Noah. The story of Noah and his ark. Beloved, I believe every word of it. And first I want to tell you from the New Testament why we can accept it. And then I want to tell you from the Old Testament why we believe it. It's no myth. There was a man by the name of Noah. He had three sons. And these are their names. He built an ark. It was a pretty big boat. But he built it. And here are the dimensions. They're all spelled out for us. I have no doubt about it whatsoever. I believe it. Now turning to the New Testament, we have two very important references to this man Noah. The first one is that he is included of all things in the great gallery and the catalog of the heroes of the faith. Hebrews 11. Of all the men who lived and of all the men who walked through the Old Testament, you have Noah brought in and numbered alongside of Abraham and alongside of David and alongside of Samuel. And when you turn to that 11th chapter of Hebrews, you, there they are, Abel. And here's uh, Enoch, you walk with God, and here's Noah. And then you come on down to Abraham, and then you've got Isaac, and you've got Jacob, and you've got Moses, and you've got Joseph, and 
You come on down to the prophets, and here's Samuel, and then you've got a long list of them there. Jephthah and all of them brought in. Do you mean to say that some of them were real and some of them were myths? Do you mean to say that some of these persons mentioned here actually were real live people, but the others were just myths that they told? That you've got mixed up here a combination of myths and, and people all put together in this 11th chapter? Well, look at the 11th chapter of Hebrew for just a minute. Just look at it. The 11th chapter of Hebrew is talking about people. And people are the ones who have faith. I've never seen a myth yet that had any faith. You, you can't have faith in myths, or myths don't have faith. It's impossible. The whole 11th chapter of Hebrews, turn to it now, just for a moment. Let's run down through it. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of not, things not seen for. By it, the elders, and these are people, they're not myths, obtained a good report. Through faith, we... Now, are you a myth? Are you a myth? Paul, uh, Paul's writing Hebrews. I think he was the author of it. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are not seen, the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Now, why do we believe that by faith? Because that's what the Bible says and that's what Genesis 1 says and that's what we believe and by faith we believe that the worlds were framed. All right, four. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of the fable? God testifying of the myth? No, God testifying of his gifts. Here was a man, a real man, a true man. And he went out and got a lamb and brought him in and he slew him and made a sacrifice with blood. And when he made the sacrifice, representing the blood of the Calvary, the blood of Christ, there it was, the sacrifice of the Lamb, the blood which needed to be shed for sin, he made it. And when he did it, God testified to it. God sent down fire. God accepted it. God owned that thing. That's no myth. Abel wasn't saved by a myth. Abel was saved by faith. He was saved by the blood. He was saved the same identical way that you're saved tonight. By believing the word of God and believing that a sacrifice is necessary to atone for your sin. And that sacrifice was Jesus Christ. Now when you take the first 11 chapters of Genesis, you make myths out of Abel. You make myths out of his sacrifice. You make myths out of the blood. And then you come on down to the next one by faith. Enoch was translated that he should not see God. Poor Enoch. Didn't get to heaven at all. It's a myth. This passage says that Enoch, because he walked with God, didn't die. And God took him. And he just left and went to heaven without going through the experience of death. That's not a myth. That took place. Oh, beloved, when you take these men here in this 11th chapter of Hebrews and begin to go down through each one of them, and you come down to Abraham by faith, Abraham, when he was called to go into a place which he should have to receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And the myth went out. No, he went out. It's always a person. Beloved, uh, inanimate objects don't have faith. This pulpit I'm preaching from doesn't have any faith. This watch I have doesn't have any faith, and I'm sure of that. This clock over here doesn't have any faith. The, the, that rug that you're standing on doesn't have any faith. They don't possess anything like faith. It's impossible for them to have faith. 
Faith is something that only a human being can have to the salvation of his souls. And that's what we're talking about. This is the faith that saved these people. This is the faith that led them to do these mighty things because they believed God. And then you come on down, Sarah. Sarah herself received faith, received strength by faith to conceive seed. Isaac was born a child of faith, a child of promise. Well, I'm not going on with that. But here, the 11th chapter of Hebrews, if you're going to say Noah was a myth and that this thing didn't happen, then you've got to just tear this right out of the 11th chapter of Hebrews and say it doesn't fit, it doesn't belong there. And this sort of thing kicks back clear into the New Testament, clear into the 11th chapter of Hebrews, and you have to tear the structure of that passage to pieces. And you have to say, well, you got a myth in the first part of it, but after all, you come on down to Jacob maybe and Abraham perhaps. But surely when you get down to David, you got somebody that was a real man. How ridiculous and absurd this sort of thing is when you stand it up alongside of the Bible. Now turn with me, please, to the 24th chapter of Matthew. And in the 24th chapter of Matthew, we have the words of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And one of the things that strikes me as I deal with these questions as they're raised for us all is that the Bible was prepared for this day. The Bible was already uh, prepared with all the ammunition that you need to meet the attacks that will be made upon it through this mythology and this attack. The Bible carried its own defense in all these matters. Now turn to that 24th chapter of Matthew, verse 37. And these are the words of Jesus Christ. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Well, there'll be real days when Christ comes. Don't worry about that. There'll be a real Son of Man coming back when he arrives. So as these days will be here, so were those days back there. And if these are real days now... They weren't myths back there. You see how this thing ties itself together. As the days of Noah were, so were the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Now, for as in the days that were before the flood. My, I'm glad the Lord put that word flood in there. If he hadn't put that word flood in there, they'd say, well, now the Lord left the flood out. If he had just said as it was in the days uh, of Noah, they were eating and drinking. But he, he put in the little word flood for us. Isn't that nice he did it? Isn't that wonderful he put that flood in there? Because this flood, you know, is supposed to be just a tall story. And they're arguing about whether it was a big flood or a little flood or a general flood or whether it was just a regional flood. We're having more arguments over this flood today than you ever saw. But the Lord said there was a flood. As it was in the days... Before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and they knew not until the flood came. He got it in there twice and took them, how many away? All of them. Pretty general flood, wasn't it? Pretty, pretty bad flood took them all away. My, I'm so thankful the Lord put that word ponta in there. It's Greek. It's, it, it's all. It got two floods mentioned or flood mentioned twice. And when it came, it took all of them away. The whole humanity went away. Now notice. 
and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Beloved, when the Son of Man comes, when the Son of Man comes, He is really going to shake this whole earth. His whole ministry and His whole program at these end times, it is going to have to do with every man in judgment and in faith. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Now he goes on. Then shall two be in the field. One shall be taken, the other left. Two women shall be girding at the mill. One shall be taken, the other left. Watch for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. Beloved, is there any suggestion in this reference that Jesus is accommodating himself to a myth or to the uh, misconceptions of his day? None whatever. As a matter of fact, he introduces Noah to tell us that the conditions of the days of Noah will be like the conditions when he comes. So let's go back and read what was the conditions in the days of Noah. And if you'll go back and read this so-called myth, if you'll go back and read this alleged myth here, this wonderful story that didn't actually happen, if you'll read what's there about the conditions that existed then, you'll find out what it'll be like when the Lord comes a second time. No, beloved, the Lord is dealing with real conditions. He's dealing with a real return. And he's dealing with conditions that will be here upon the earth when he comes back. And he says, if you want to know something about it, you go back there to those early chapters of Genesis and see the conditions that exist when God was repentant that he had made man. And he said, I'll destroy him. All flesh, every living creature I will destroy. But Noah found grace in the sight of God and Noah was spared. You cannot study the words of Jesus Christ and get a myth out of Genesis 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. Can't do it. Unless you want to make Jesus Christ mistaken. And yes, you're willing to say, well, of course, that is true. Jesus was a creature of his day. and He was limited by the culture of his time. You can't blame him for using these things. He used a good illustration. And uh, let's take it as an illustration, let's take it as a myth, and let it go with that. Beloved, we take the words of Jesus Christ as the words of God. I speak the truth, he said, I lie not. And the words that I speak unto you, the Father that sent me, he gave them unto me. And the word which Jesus Christ spoke, beloved, is the truth. And if you can't believe his word about the flood, if you can't believe his word about Noah, if you can't believe his word about the days that were before the coming of the flood, how can you believe his word about heaven? And if you can't believe his word when he speaks about the judgments that came upon Noah and how God delivered him and how God took him and his family and spared them. If you can't believe that that's what Jesus Christ is going to do for you and me, he's going to take us away. He's going to take us out. He's going to deliver us. How can you believe him when he said, except a man be born again? He cannot see the kingdom of heaven. If he's wrong about Noah, he's wrong about this other thing too. The point is when you're dealing with eternal life, 
when you're dealing with this matter of heaven, when you're dealing with this matter that has to do with the revelation that God's given us in Jesus Christ, beloved, when you're dealing with that, you have to have the truth. And if he didn't speak the truth on some of these things, how then do you know that he speaks the truth in these other things? And you don't. You don't. Beloved Jesus Christ knew all things. He knew all. He says, before Abraham was, I am. And he rejoiced to see my day and he saw it. Jesus Christ was the son of the living God. And all this business of myths and legends which contradict his name, his word, and reflect against him, you and I reject. And we leave these matters in the hands of the living God who judges righteous judgments. And our children must reject them. And our young people must reject them. And we must re recoil against anything that's going to make our Savior a liar. We must recoil against anything that's going to imply that our Savior didn't know what he was talking about. We must recoil against anything that reflects against the head of the church. The risen, glorified Son of Man who now sits at the right hand of the throne of God. So we believe. So if you're going to make a myth out of Noah and you're going to make a myth out of the flood and if you're going to make a myth out of these things then you've got to take the words of Jesus in the 24th chapter of Matthew and just cut them out and say, Jesus, I understand you were accommodating yourself to the ignorance of your day. But we're smarter than you are and we don't need to worry about that. We'll take what we like and we'll, we'll leave what we don't like and go on. And that's what they're doing. That's exactly what they're doing. All right, now let's turn over to the story of Noah. Let's see what it was like in those days. Let's see the conditions that we're told that existed that brought on this flood. And beloved, when you get into conditions like this, let me just read some of these conditions for you. If they didn't have a flood, they'd have had something else. God wasn't going to put up with this. They didn't have a flood to destroy them. He destroyed them some other way because sin and wickedness was so great and so corrupt that God in his justice and in his judgment made up his mind he was going to destroy man from the face of the earth. All right, now will you turn please to verse 5. When God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only continually evil, only, only evil continually, it repented God that he had made man, and it grieved him at his heart. And God said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and creeping thing. Now, beloved, if God made man, and man turned in such corruption and such wickedness, didn't God have a right to dispose of him if he wanted to? Certainly did. Has the thing formed... Have a right to say to the potter, Why hast thou made me thus? The Lord made man. And in this dispensation, this sin was so aggravated that the evil of man's heart was so filthy, it was continually, and God said, I cannot stand it. I will destroy him from the face of the earth. Well, now, just at this point, I'm going to begin to suggest to you that there are indications here that... Uh, that uh, this flood covered the earth. 
There's some indications here that he was going to eliminate man. That the extent of this flood would be so general that there wouldn't be anybody left of beast or man on the earth. And that's clearly the intent and the purpose of the statement here. All right. Now let's move down a little further. Verse 12. And God, verse 11. The earth was also corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted. Now this is the word I want you to see. What is it? All flesh had corrupted what? His way upon the earth. In other words, the human race had become so corrupt, they turned so completely away from the gospel, from redemption, from the ways of salvation. The whole human race had so corrupted this way. God says, I'm going to judge him. I'm going to deal with him. And do you know what's being corrupted now? Just before the coming of the days of the Lord? Do you know what's being corrupted right now? Just before the coming of the Lord the second time? Do you know what's being corrupted? His way! That's being corrupted everywhere. And what else do we have? Violence, violence, violence. What else do we have? The constant evil workings of the imagination of men. And when the Son of God said in Matthew 24, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the Son of God, he knew what he was talking about because as the living God in the second person of the Trinity, he had a part in the decision to destroy man. He knew what he was talking about when he said, look there in the days of Noah. The corruption, the sin, the wickedness. Oh, how it's multiplied. And he says, they have destroyed the way, the way of God. And do you know, they really must have done so because only Noah was left. Everybody else died. Noah was the only saved man. Plus his three sons. And Noah preached and preached and preached and preached and nobody got converted. Wouldn't that be an interesting thing to be a preacher, to preach all your life, and that nobody converted at all? His three sons and their wives, there were six of them, plus himself and his wife, there were eight. Only eight people were saved by the flood. All the rest of them were ungodly and unregenerate, and they were unbelievers. And what did Noah do? He went out and he preached. And he said, the heavens are going to open and the foundations are going to break up. And God is going to destroy you because of your sin. Did you know that's exactly what Jeremiah preaches all through his book? Same thing. All through Jeremiah. God's going to destroy you for your sin. God's going to destroy you if corrupted the way. God's going to destroy you if turned to the other idols of Balaam. God's going to destroy you. That's the book of Jeremiah from beginning to end. And beloved, that is the message of the Bible that God is going to judge sin. And God is going to judge humanity. And unless men will listen to his way, his son, his message, his gospel, there's no hope for them. You have to be saved. By the message of regeneration. 
which you have in Jesus Christ. My, this man Noah. Seven days before the flood came, the Lord says, Noah, and what I like about this all through this story, this isn't a myth, this is so beautiful. Noah did exactly what the Lord commanded him. Nobody could have written a myth like that. Who could have thought up a myth like that? Oh, beloved, this is so precious. God spoke to Noah. He found grace in his sight. Noah feared God. God says, Noah, I told you, if you believe me, I'd take care of you. And so I'm going to take care of you, but this is the way I'm going to do it. I want you to build an ark. I'm going to destroy everybody, all the beasts, everything that's related to humanity in any way. Everything we're going to destroy. And he says, I want you to prepare the big ark. Can you imagine the days? I don't know how long somebody's tried to figure out how long it took Noah to build his ark. They've got some figures some people have had, but nobody knows for sure. But it took him a long time. He may have even had a lot of carpenters. I know a sermon one time I heard by one fellow on Noah's carpenters. They worked on the, on the ship, but they died in the flood. The people who worked on the ship, but they died in the flood. But anyway, he built the ark and... Oh, how they gathered out there to watch this old crazy fellow Noah build an ark. Noah says it's going to rain. Heavens are going to open. Foundations are going to break up. We're going to have a flood to destroy us all. It's going to be done by water. And you can imagine how they ridiculed this old crazy fellow out there that doesn't know what he's talking about. Just imagine. Seven days before the time for the flood to start on schedule, God says, Noah, now... I want you to remember, I'm going to bring, bring in all these animals. There's going to be two of each pair. He says, I want you to bring some extra ones in. And he says, uh, get you some food for them and fix up. The flood's going to last 40 days and 40 nights. God told Noah how, how long it's going to last. knew all about it. And so they came. And oh, how people ridicule. And I said the other day when I was telling this story to the children, how beautiful it is. I don't doubt for one minute that and Noah had to go and try to catch the rabbits and run up to the bears. And he had nothing like that to do. They just came. They just came. The Lord put it in their minds to come. I don't know. I've, uh, we're learning an awful lot of things about nature today. You know these, these various animals. Did you know that the, the uh, mosquitoes have a music they sing? Maybe you've never heard their music. But they communicate with each other. And just as soon as a mosquito finds a nice juicy fella, he sends out the message. And they all come back. It's, it's amazing the way they get in your room. They all seem to find out they have ways of communication. But anyhow, God used his communication system with all the different animals. I don't doubt it. And they came coming in there. And can you imagine those people living around the headquarters where, where, where Noah was? And they said, look, just saw a couple of goats get in that thing. Look. I saw a couple of monkeys show up. Where do you think they came from? Look at the birds. My, my, there's a couple of pigeons. They showed up. They got some seagulls coming in here. My goodness, look at these things. Just kept coming. The roost kept coming. Don't you think in that last week you ought to have had a few converts? 
Don't you think in that last week when these things were taking place and they began to gather for a full week and after the seven days was over, the whole place was full up? Don't you think the news went all over the countryside and everywhere? Noah's got his arms full of all these animals. Strange things have happened. They just arrived. They just came and they're all in there and he's got food for them. It's a marvelous thing. Noah's doing what he said he was going to do and then all of a sudden the thunder began to strike and the lightning began to flash and the clouds came and the foundations of the deep were opened up and the water began to gush and here it came five days, ten days, fifteen days, twenty days, thirty days and it came higher and higher and higher and higher over the houses up on the hilltops until the highest mountain was out of sight and all flesh was destroyed. And why did Noah do it? Because God said he would do it and he believed it. Why did Noah do it? Because he condemned the world. He believed God. And when God said he would destroy man, God meant what he said he would do. And tonight when God says the wages of sin is death, the wages of sin is death. And when God says the soul that sinneth it shall die, he shall die. And when the Bible says the wicked shall be turned into hell, that's where they're going to go. And we're dealing with the everlasting God. We're dealing with the commandments of this God. We're dealing with the one remedy which he's given us to lift us up out of the grave and to give us everlasting life. And it takes a revelation to receive it. It takes a Bible given to us by the prophets and by the apostles and sealed by Jesus Christ. A record which you and I can accept and we can believe this message and we can die knowing that we have been born again. Oh yes, we're reaching these days when all we have are just little pockets left of this sort of idea. Little pockets left here and there. Here's a church here and there's another one over there and there's one over there. Just little pockets left. Thank God we're one of the pockets. Thank God we still belong to this company that believe that it was in the days of Noah. It's going to be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. And when we see these things begin to come to pass, and we see the awful apostasy, the corruption of His way. That was the final thing. That was the key. The corruption of His way. And when that was done, then the judgment fell. And Noah was delivered. But oh, how good God was to know. He preserved his seed. And then when Noah got out of the ark, after he'd saved all these animals and saved everything, Noah went and took what he'd saved, and he says, I'll take some from every one of them. And he offered a sacrifice to the Lord. God accepted his sacrifice. God bless Noah. And he says, no, I'll put the fear of you on the face of every beast. And he says, no, any beast that slays a man, you must slay him. And any man who slays a man, you must slay him. And whosoever sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. Little boy out on the farm. There was an old horse that killed a man down the road. You know, they killed a horse, and I thought they shouldn't have killed a horse. But an elephant tramples on a child in the, in the zoo. They kill the elephant. A bear kills an animal. They kill the bear. Isn't it interesting? 
It's what God said. Capital punishment. The price that God puts on the life of a man, it's the greatest price of all. Your life is the most precious thing that God has ever created. And the price of your life was the death of the Son of God. That's what it took to redeem you. And let's believe this book and let's believe this gospel and let's be like this man Noah and have the faith which will condemn the world as we look for the coming of Christ and we wait for the rapture. Oh, I tell you people, I can't tell you enough. Oh, I'm going to stop. Oh, beloved, I tell you people over and over again, let's believe everything that God's given to us to believe and let's be intelligent about it and let's let our faith rest upon His promises and let's be peculiar, separated people who have a hope because if you don't have this hope and your sins are not forgiven, ye shall die as you are. But if you will believe in Jesus Christ... You will become a new creature. You'll be born into his kingdom. And on the resurrection day, he will call your name. And you will be numbered with us all forever. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank thee that Noah's no myth. We thank thee for this wonderful account that's been preserved through these centuries and how thy people have loved it and believed it and how thy servants have preached from it and we've seen our faith strengthened and we've seen thy people rejoice in the word of our God. Oh, bless this message tonight to the salvation of souls and may we remember that it's like the days of Noah and the coming of the Son of Man may be tonight. For Christ's sake, amen.